0: Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made. My name is Olivia, and each week on this podcast, we go behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to discover how things get made. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited because we have Melanie Orr, who is an award-winning director. She has been nominated for three Emmy Awards. How cool is that? So you may know Melanie for her work on The Hardy Boys, Children Ruin Everything, Run the Burbs, Orphan Black, Dark Matter. The list just goes on and on and on. In this episode, Melanie takes us on her journey through the entertainment industry from script supervisor to director. Each step of the way, Melanie is so open and raw about her own experience in this industry as a female, as a mother. It's It was so inspiring to me how open she was because I think that these conversations aren't happening enough. In this episode, there's really something for everyone. She gives a lot of behind-the-scenes secrets of how the magic of the film industry comes together. She also has amazing perspective on how to survive as a freelancer. And if you're an aspiring director, of course, she's got lots of tips for you, like do you need an agent? And can they help you get work? She's going to tell you. She's going to tell you all about it. So let's get into it. My conversation with the amazingly talented Melanie Orr. So to start off, I want to know how you got your very first script supervisor job.
1: It was quite a road I, I originally you know, when I went to college I wanted to become an editor and I my first year of college I got a job on a movie of the week doing craft service so making sandwiches and I was like uh, I don't even know maybe I was 19 or something a college student not very good at that job <clears throat> but I met the script supervisor and I went to go sit with him and it was all the principles of editing but you're on the floor and you're there with the creation of the process and I just thought this was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life I was like this is it I'm going to be a script supervisor. And so I had approached him at the rap party and said, like, hey, can you train me? And we kept in touch. He taught a course when I was in second year that I left school for to go do in Toronto. And it's funny because the principles of things that he taught me in that workshop, not, I not only applied to, like, my job as a script supervisor, but also into my directing job. Um, so it was pretty incredible. And uh, And then when I finished school three days afterwards, I was training on a movie of the week called Flowers for Algernon and oh, yeah yeah of course like, I know the book and I, I mean honestly I was 20 years old I was so young like a little pup like mm, please teach me I'm so excited <laughs> to work here and and it was great and then after that I got a I worked on a movie where I was doing I was slating doing continuity and makeup touches got paid no money and uh and then slowly that like snowballed into like paying and paying work but my first like big job was a daily so I had I was a permittee with NABET to do continuity, and I was living in North York. Again, I was 20 years old. I get a phone call for Relic Hunter that the continuity person was sick that day and they wanted me to come down. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I literally grabbed lined paper and a stopwatch. And I, I was like, I can be there in an hour. And I hopped on, again, because they paged me, but I hopped on the subway, took the subway down to Relic Hunter and walked onto a set. They were already shooting. I was like terrified. It was, but our, um, the stand-in on the show was the sweetest guy. His name was Jerry. And he comes up and he goes, I started taking notes. And he had on the back of the sides had written notes for what they were shooting. And like, I didn't even know who, I, I was still learning the whole process. And then I finished my day. I felt pretty good about it. Like, I felt I was able to help out and follow the script. And and then I just left, and then I got a phone call like a week later from the production company asking if I had a, a timesheet or if I signed a deal memo. And it was funny because I was like, I was kind of left that day, going, "How do I get paid? <laughs> do they even know who I am?" <laughs> and yeah, I didn't even know to I didn't even know to do that stuff. It was pretty funny, but that um, is funny. Yeah, so that was like you know the my entry entry level days. But I would feel like my first show that I really felt like, oh okay, like I am a script supervisor, was a TV show called The Zach Files, which was okay. a half hour kids show we made back in like the early 2000s. And it was my first like TV series gig. It was amazing. I like, it was so great. We did 26 episodes and it was working with kids and it was chaos and like, I loved it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and okay, so I have to bring up uh, Naturally Sadie and Radio Free Roscoe. Oh, yeah. Because those were the shows that I grew up on. I like loved them. The Family Channel was was the place to be, and so I have to ask you about your experience on that. And you know, was there something about those types of shows that made you like working with kids more? Yeah, interesting question. So it's funny that you say Radio right Free Roscoe because recently it was on Family Channel. I was flipping
1: channels and I watched an episode, and I, it really holds up. Honestly, I was like, oh, this is really good.
0: Like, oh, um, amazing. I have to revisit it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Ray Free Roscoe and Naturally Sadie, those shows like really stuck out because at that point I really felt like as a script supervisor, I'd hit my stride. Like I felt, mm-hmm. you know, I had like a, a great pocket that I was working in. I felt like I was wa- working with like uh, directors that were influencing me positively. Um, there was a director, Gail Harvey, who's also one of my mentors. And I remember, you know, her and... I think she was directing on the Zach Files, but here was a female director, which I hadn't seen yet, and a mother, which I also hadn't seen yet. And so it was really interesting because she was also the mother of one of the cast members. So it was really interesting to see that this could all be possible for me, right? Like, I think it was really uh, inspiring. And then, you know, moving on to shows like Radio Free Roscoe, some of the people from Radio Free Roscoe are still my best friends today. Like, that's how (sighs) close we all were. We would wrap shooting, and we would all still just, like, hang out. Um, I got married on that show. I learned a lot about um, scripts and story and, you know, and the cast were really great because, like, they were fairly new. So it's really, I think what I realized from Rio Roscoe was the vulnerability of actors. Oh, that's interesting. mm -hmm, And I think that children tend to show it a little bit more in a different way than adults show it. And so I really was aware of that and able to just, like, you know, help nurture and support in the ways and definitely learning the way you can see when people are overloaded. You can see when an actor's gone, and the directors give them a bunch of notes, and the camera people give them a bunch of notes, and I have to come in and tell them like different hand or here's the line. And you can just see like it's just too much. And so noticing that, I kind of find like the best way to kind of go in and say things and less is more in a lot of situations. And you know, what? I was not planning to become a director. I would I was going to be a career like script supervisor, and I was very happy about that. But now that I'm directing and I look back at all these little things that I picked up along the way, I was like, oh, yeah, that was something else from my tool belt. That was something else from my tool belt, you know? (laughs) I mean, like, I loved, I was was really loving kids TV, but when I was doing Naturally Sadie, I was starting to feel bored with it. Mm. I felt that, it felt very similar show to show. And I felt like, you know, shots wise and coverage wise as a script supervisor, I was kind of feeling like I could almost fill up my paperwork before the day and then just fill in the takes kind of knew how we were gonna shoot it anyway, right? And then I was working, I got a job on for like a week of pickups for a movie and this company um, called Peace Arch had asked me if I wanted to come and work for them. They were planning to do 12 movies in a year. And yeah, I know it's wild but they were actually wanting to get into the distribution side. So they had uh, larger titles with like bigger cast and then they wanted to sort of like create a whole bunch of content to package these projects all together. And so they asked me if I wanted to come and do continuity for 12 movies. And I thought, like, oh, this is exciting. Like, A, I'm going to learn a ton, which is going to be great. And little did I know that it ended up sort of being a bit of, like, the Roger Corman (laughs) school of filmmaking. Myself and a whole bunch of, like, us, we just became this, like, group. And we would literally shoot a movie every month. So shoot for three weeks. So one would be prepping while one was shooting. And so as a crew member, you just kind of, like, rolled in to the next one and the next one and the next one. But everybody started elevating. Everybody started moving up, and you know, you'd see like somebody who was a camera trainee is suddenly like, now they're a second, then they're pulling focus, and you know, like myself, I was offered an opportunity to direct with the company, which wasn't something I was kind of going after. Um, it was incredible how it was offered to me, and I thought, like, I yes, I'm going to say yes, as terrified as I was. <laughs> And so that's how I got my first directing gig was with that company and it was wonderful because it was with a group of friends uh, who were really elevating and it was a super supportive environment and it was great because I was really able to concentrate on that transition from protecting story as a script revisor to telling the story as a director.
0: That's interesting. So before we get into your your directing, I have to ask you, because to be honest, I don't really know what a script supervisor does on the day-to-day. So can you, Mm -hmm. for me, and hopefully some of our listeners who also do, give us the spark notes of your day as a script supervisor?
1: Yeah. Uh, So a script supervisor has a very interesting position. And we're sort of, from the very beginning, when we're given a script, our first task is to time the script. So we take the material and we act it out, assume the length of each scene, like with a stopwatch, like literally you'd be like walking around your house or you know timing it out, acting it out, thinking about it. What's the genre, what's the pace, what's the tone, what's the arcs, all this. And then you're giving an estimated time for each scene, which in turn gives you an estimated time for the entire uh, episode or movie. They then use that number, production uses that number to see if we are overshooting or undershooting what we need to deliver. So let's say, for example, on a half hour episode of TV, they have to deliver 21 and a half minutes of content. Well, if I time the script and it's 27 minutes, that's six minutes they're going to cut out, right? So then they would cut back pages. And or the opposite, if it's short, they're going to add pages. So, you know, producers use that, obviously, because they're trying to budget uh, money versus like money on screen, and we don't want to overshoot stuff. I got very good at my timings, like they would be like, bang on (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean it's a little bit more challenging for features uh because it's a totally different kind of uh storytelling than tv but they were you know you you get the hang of it and again it's an estimate right so it's Mm -hmm. not set in stone and you know sometimes you'll get in arguments about your timing but it's a guesstimate and based on my experience this is my estimate anyway um, so that's the first thing. And then once uh, you're into prep, so I'm responsible, you know, I break down the script, I break it down into um, script days. So for every uh, scene, there's a, a script day, whether it's like today's day one, and then tomorrow's day two. So then the actor would change their clothes between days, unless they were like, out all night, and they hadn't changed their clothes. So it's a way that in production, we track uh, story chronology is through mm-hmm. script days. So I do one, the 80s do one, then we compare to make sure we're on the same page um and then you know I break down the script for uh continuity I have to remember this it's been a while since I did continuity (laughs) but you know you're breaking down the script for like what props do you need what are like you know the obvious ones what are like uh the assumed props like let's say it's raining outside does this person have an umbrella do they need to have a rain jacket on are they wet when they come in are they dry how long were they outside for like all of these things you're thinking about all this before you even go to camera and you do these wild breakdowns and then on the day when you're shooting, or like now you're on, you're on the show and they're shooting the show, you are essentially responsible to relay what is being shot on set to the editors. So it's a paperwork job, and now it's digital, but still it's a paperwork job, and so you're recording all the details. So what the shot number is, what, what whatever goes on the slate, we tell them what goes on the slate, and then... For the editors, we write down what that shot is. Is it a wide shot? Is it a close up? Uh, Does the shot change? How long does the shot go? Is it from the top of the scene to the bottom of the scene? From the middle to the end? And then we record how many takes, all the director's notes on the takes or any production notes on the takes. Like maybe the producer loves this take, maybe director hates this take, you know? Or actor screwed up their lines or God help me, nothing matches, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so, while that's happening, while I'm recording all that information, you're also watching what the actors do to make sure that they're standing up at the same time every single take, so you can edit it together. Are they turning over the same shoulder? What hand is the fork in? If they hug, what shoulder do they go over? Is their hair over the left side or the right side? Is that is their shirt tucked in? Like all those crazy things. Now there's a crew water bottle in the background or a Starbucks cup, you know. <laughs> all of that. So it's a crazy multitasking job. <laughs> so. doing all of that and then then we do this thing called a line script so we essentially make what's called a blueprint for the coverage for every scene or for the show and so you some people have seen these before and they're like what is that but it's a straight line means on camera and a squiggly line means off camera and so one line represents each shot that we've shot for the scene and then, so you do this line script and that's given to the editors so they can have like a, essentially a blueprint for the scene to see what sort of coverage they have to work with.
0: Well, thank you. Cause that was that- like the best explanation I could have ever gotten. <laughs> um, so you, it sounds like to me that you have to be this super hyper-organized person, really, really detail oriented. And it's, it, yeah, it seems like it actually, you're the glue of the production. And then it is a role that would lend itself well to then transitioning into being a director or a producer. Did you, did you ever feel like you had to make the decision or that the decision was made for you and you had this opportunity to direct and then thought, yeah, this is this is me?
1: <laughs> well, it's funny. it's funny that you say that about like it could be producing or directing because I was offered to work at a production company that I had worked with quite a bit. Uh, two times, actually, they had asked me if I wanted to come over and start up as a junior producer with the company. And the first time I was, I, you know, I was like, I don't know, I just don't feel like I'm ready for that yet. Right. So then a year later or so, they approached me again and said, like, listen, there's junior, junior producer position open. Would you like to come and work for us? And I was like, I don't know. I just feel like there's something else. <laughs> I, I don't There's something. And it's weird because I originally thought I would wanted to be a TV producer, but when it was presented, I, I don't know. I just felt some sort of like itch but there was a creative executive position that opened up there covering a Matt leave and I did go and so they had offered me that and I went to go cover uh this position and it was interesting definitely I felt like it wasn't enough work for me and I remember oh, I wow only, yeah I was only doing I think one show in the beginning and I went to them and I said like listen like it's too, it's too little like I need more I need more stuff to fill my day. I think because there's this adrenaline and energy that we have when we work on set, like the amount of work that we do and the amount of of multitasking, it's insane. It's truly insane. And so it's very hard to step back and kind of do less. Um, Anyway, so, I mean, I enjoyed it. I learned a ton. I really learned the like notes process from network to production. And being a part of that, I saw a lot, uh, met with a lot of directors. So I was on the other side of like director meetings, which was very fascinating. Um, so it was great for me to learn, but I wanted to go and direct another movie. So at that point I'd already directed one movie and then, um, that company was going to offer me another one. So anyway, I didn't continue that road and I went back
0: to directing and there you go. The rest is history. Mm-hmm. So I heard that on your very first film that you ever directed, it was a $1.5 million budget. That's Can you true. confirm? <laughs> that is true. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, were you into, I mean, Obviously, that's not like a Marvel budget, but that's still Mm. a really, really healthy budget, especially for your first feature. So how did you handle, you know, managing everybody's expectations, staying on time, staying on budget on your very first go? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I was saying before about I'd
1: always protected the story and now I had to tell the story. And so I was really, I I was very comfortable with production. Like I, I know... If I can see the scene and length of the scene, I can base I, I felt very confident in how long I would expect it would take to shoot that. But I had never been responsible for the one dealing with all the performances myself and talking to the cast and making sure that the story has a flow and it's coherent and it's, you know, there was a lot <clears throat> that I that was new for me. And so I kind of just <clears throat> leaned into what I was comfortable with. And spend a lot of time on the things that I wasn't and it was so weird it just clicked it was the most wild thing ever I feel like I'm not afraid to talk about things and I like to just talk about things really openly and honestly and I was very lucky because I had a crew who was really rooting for me and like we were killing it like the first few days the first day the entire crew signed my call sheet and gave me my call sheet all signed like way to go we're so proud of you like it was really <laughs> incredible. And, you know, we were we were starting to get ahead of our schedule. We were, you know, I had some sequences that I shot that kind of like helped. And we pulled up some scenes from another day. And um, yeah, like it was, I don't know, it was going really good. I mean, it was scary. I, well, So Kathleen Quinlan was the lead of the movie. And I I was, I think I was 27 years old. And she came from LA to come up into the production office for her wardrobe fitting. So I was like, listen, when she arrives, I'd like to say hi to her first and and everything before she goes in there. And I remember I come out and I'm like, hi, I'm Melanie. And like the look on her face, just probably just like, you're so young. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it was funny. I was like, yeah, I, I am young, but it was really wonderful. And she was so lovely and she was so open. And we spent an entire day together before we even went to camera, which was a new thing for me. And, uh, like I met up with her at our hotel and we talked about everything, like life, uh, women, powerful women, struggles of women. Like it was the mo- it was really an empowering moment for me. Um, and she was so lovely and she just, we just created this story together. And yeah, I was so, I was so proud of that. I really was.
0: Ah, oh, what an excellent first experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds really wonderful. Of course, since that moment, you've gone on to, you know, be an acclaimed director, winning awards and all of those things. So you seem to have a specialization. You do a lot of different types of work, but you seem to have a specialization working with children. I do. So I'm wondering if you can give a little bit of an insight into why your style works. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, th- I think you're right. I am definitely known for my directing style, especially with younger performers. And I think it comes from a place I... I think I can be nurturing in a very empowering way and not in a condescending way. Um, I'm the oldest. Uh, I have six siblings. So there's, we didn't all grow up in the same house. So I have experience with a whole bunch of different ages of kids. <laughs> um, but there is something about a young performer. And it's not just about them creating the character and working on that performance, but it's really about, like their life and what they are able to bring to the table. And I think that's really exciting. And I think the environment in which you need to protect for child actors is also very important. Um, And it's not just like, I know a lot of people say like, you have to make it fun. Yes, you have to make it fun, but you also have to protect their emotion because whatever content we're doing or shooting, like they go home at the end of the day. Right. And and their minds race, and they think about a whole bunch of different things. So I think it's really important to be able to protect that, like whether it's an emotional scene and you give them time to like get out of that emotional scene, or you're able to help talk them out of that emotional scene, not just get them into the scene, but you have to get them out, right? Um, so I think that's definitely uh, something that I excel in because I think I'm really aware of the importance of that. Yeah, you know what? It, like I truly, truly love working with people. I do, and like it, for me, I love story and, and what we put on screen is really important, but how we do it and the relationship that you build with people is like the, like the most important thing for me. Like this industry is so magical and it's unbelievable that we get to work in this environment where we come together as related strangers and leave as family members. And the interesting thing is like a lot of these people you may not even see again for a, a while, years, multiple, like many years. When you see them, it's like that exact same moment that you had before, like you feel that.
0: Of course, your new show, which has come actually came to me highly recommended, Children Ruin Everything. So how did this project come to you and and, and what was your experience on it?
1: So I had met with uh, Beth Eilid, one of the producers on the show early on, just as a general, just to have a conversation and get to know each other. And then she had reached out to me maybe a month or so later saying that, uh, looks like they're going to production on the show. And she'd like for me to meet with Kurt Smeaton, who was a showrunner. And they sent me some material and I read the script and I loved it. I loved it. It was so funny. It was so heartwarming. It was so honest. And I met with Kurt and Beth and Kurt just blew me away. He was, well, he is. Kurt is such a wonderful person And I really believed in his story and him and the show. And I remember talking to my team, my agents and stuff, and I was like, I I need, I I want this show. I really want to work on this show. This was also my first network comedy. And so, you know, I've done a lot of kids and and family genre, branch into the YA one-hour space, and this was my first half-hour comedy for CTV so that was a big deal for me and something that I also really wanted to get into. And I felt like this was a perfect, the perfect content. Kurt was really big on the kids not being um, actor kids, which I also agree with. Like, I thought that was a, a great choice and uh, I was excited to just make it feel natural.
0: It's, it's funny because you, I feel like, have all these really niche specializations that um, maybe they make sense together. Maybe you'll help me make sense of it all. But alongside your work with children's comedies and children's shows, you also have a bit of a specialization in sci-fi. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into working on sci-fi?
1: Sure. I feel like the sci-fi genre just sort of like uh, was blending into a lot of like kids content very early on. So even as a script supervisor, there was quite a few shows where I was learning visual effects. I worked on a show called Blobheads, where this kid lives with aliens. And so, but the aliens were animated. So that was like an early uh, introduction into like this sort of like blend of VFX and uh, live action. But I think the thing with sci-fi that kind of relates to all the other sort of like work that I've done is there is a family component and there's an acceptance component to it. So recently I've been looking back through all my work and realizing like, I I lean very heavily into the idea of family. Now, not necessarily like the family that you have, but the family that you make or the family that you choose along the way. And yeah, in that sci-fi world, I feel like there's, you know, whether it's like other beings or monsters or, you know, different environments, there's that level of acceptance that is a, the kind of stories I'd definitely like to tell.
0: Can you tell something that happens on sci-fi sets that's really cool and different that um you know maybe makes the movie magic that is under discussed so maybe something about the technology or something that the actors have to do to make something come to life that's something we might not know yeah
1: (laughs) so in sci-fi the most exciting thing is world creation right? It's like, well, what what is our world? How do people do things? Like, we know how we do things in our regular world, but I love the conversations, especially in early prep, about the world and how we do it. You know, and Endlings was a show where it was definitely like, this takes place 20 years in the future. What's different in 20 years in the future? You know, a show like Dark Matter, they're on a spaceship. What's their technology? There's an Androids here now. So what do they use? And so leaning from, uh, from that into the whole idea of like props and the things that you get to design and discuss and create is really exciting for sure. And then the most hilarious thing is explaining it to the actors sometimes. You're like, no, you're gonna inject them with this like uh, serum, with this like weird futuristic needle that's gonna make them uh, wake up. And you know, there's all these kind of like weird things that you, you're you creating logic to in the worlds that you're working in. Um, so it's really fun. And I think sometimes it's really great to just like step out of like the norms that we know and, and just really like have fun and embrace this wonderful world you're creating,
0: of course, working you know with movies and TV shows is very magical. But I also want to hear about the time, a time where you felt like, oh, "I this is so difficult," you know, being on the grind, working on this. I feel so overwhelmed. Can you talk about one moment that was maybe your Hollywood heartbreak moment?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say that when i so when i transitioned from doing continuity into directing i finished i made these three movies i was like okay that's it i'm going to jump in this industry it's going to be great I'm, just, I'm like i'm just going to work and i remember i don't know it just wasn't it wasn't like that at all i didn't really know the road the it wasn't the industry was very different from what it is today there weren't really openings there weren't really i felt like the seeking new talent wasn't really there like it is now I just couldn't find a place, and it was very hard. Like, and I figured all these like producers that I had known, and all these relationships that they would like pay off with work, and they really didn't. And so I would kind of bounce back and forth between doing continuity and directing for a long time. Then it wasn't until I worked on, until I worked on *Orphan Black*, that really um, sparked me creatively to kind of get back into it. Like, I definitely felt. When I finished those movies, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to be a director. And then I was like, oh, like there was, where do I go? Like there's no place for me really. And when I worked on Orphan Black, I saw where there could be a place. I'm like episodic. I think episodic is where I can see myself and I can see that you can tell amazing stories and you can really push the envelope. And so I sort of like leaned into that, into episodic after that. I feel like this industry is full of heartbreaks, but I feel like they're so small and they happen all the time, that it's just part of the deal, you know? For sure. I think we have a weird thing where the grass is always greener. It's like, as soon as, you know, you there's like one job you didn't get, you're like, oh, why did I not get on that show? That's crazy. I, I, t- I would have been perfect for that show. And then you get on something else. And then, you know what I mean? So I feel like it's a constant rotation of, like, small little heartbreaks.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure also your goals get bigger, too, like – The first time that you did, you know, your first couple directing jobs, you probably were like, wow, this is amazing every single time. And then, you know, thinking about you, whatever, now you'd probably be like, oh, that was, that was nothing. I've got bigger goals now. And it's just that at every stage in your life, you, you elevate.
1: That is so true. And it's funny because my husband says to me sometimes when he, when he says, but years ago, you would have died for what you have right now. (laughs) You know, you're like, oh Yeah but now I want this, like, you're right. Because you keep like, once you got to get to a stage, and you go, you want the next thing. And then you want the next thing and you want the next thing, which my absolute favorite thing right now is I have this uh, great calming feeling that I feel like this whole industry is a, it's a long game. And I feel like I have a long time to do amazing work. And I think that's very comforting. And I really look forward to the next five years, the next 10 years to see what sort of things I can make and, you know, be involved in. Yeah, I really... I really find comfort in that.
0: I think that's such a good philosophy because that's something that I get stuck in a lot thinking about, okay, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to be, I want to be amazing at that, that one thing, Mm -hmm. but it's like, no, you got to slow down. You got to put the work in and you're going to be amazing, but you have to also focus on right now. And that's really, (laughs) that's really hard for me.
1: Well, it is like, you really have to like, let go of the control. And I do say that to a lot of people, I do do a lot of mentoring and you know, talking to upcoming students and stuff. And I, and I let them know, I'm like, honestly, like this industry is very tough. Like you're gonna miss some important events <laughs> in life. And, you know, uh, the work is very demanding and you have to find a balance with yourself, with work and, and home and all of that. And uh, it, it will never be balanced at the same time. Yes, you have to find a balance, but it'll never be, never be balanced. <laughs> I've been working in this industry for almost 25 years now and I have not found it yet. <laughs>
0: Now, when you get directing jobs, does it almost always come through your agent? And for those people who are maybe considering getting an agent or not sure how to negotiate that process, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, your agent doesn't get you work.
1: I'll tell you that. Like, your agent can help. They can have preemptive conversations. They'll know things that are coming up. But you truly is a trifecta of things to get a job. I feel that if you reach out or you have some sort of relationship with the people, maybe your agent has mentioned your name. I feel like somebody else needs to mention your name too. I feel most things will be, oh, maybe I've gotten the meeting and they'll say, oh, we talked to so-and-so and they've heard good things about you. Or it has, I feel, really feel like it has to be three, three people to mention your name. And so I know a lot of people, I get a lot of like directors saying, I need an agent, I need an agent. First of all, you have to ha- have decent work to show to either get hired or get an agent your agent is think of it as like a team member. That's how I think of my, I call them my, my team. They're my team. And so we strategize. And, you know, when I get an offer for a job or a possibility, like we talk about how does this fit into the schedule where do we want to get to, does this line up with where we want to go? This could be cool because, you know, and then I would say like job offers come from a few things. I, I get a lot of personal messages that they're having, that they're doing a show and they want to talk with me, which is great. Um, and either like through them, a meeting will be set up, but yeah, I think the common misconception is that agents get you work and that's mm-hmm. not true. They, they, you know, they have a certain elevation to your profile. I think when you have an agent, obviously, and they can be very good at helping you see a bigger picture of things. You have to do a lot of work to get work. You have to network a lot. You have to be relevant and network and it's not easy. It is probably the hardest part of the job.
0: You know, you mentioned when you first started out in the industry, you didn't see a lot of women directors, especially moms. So I'm curious, you know, what your experience has been. And I have to tell you, I've seen a a real change in the last couple of years. My last or last two big movies that we did both had female directors. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just curious what your experience was. It has and been. I'm saying, yeah. Still <laughs> is. Same,
1: yeah. I, honestly, back then, like, there was maybe four or five directors and total female directors in, like, the 2000s that I would work with across cross paths with. Like, it was – and I'm sure there was a few more. But, like, in my circle that I saw, like, that was it. A lot of people would say that it's really hard to have a family in the film industry. You know, you see a lot of, like, men working on shows, and I feel that men – not all men, this is not generalization – but they just have a, they're a different ability. There's like a really old mentality. Men can just work and they come home and all the home things sort of happen. But I think like women just carry a greater emotional and uh, like weight to everything, right? And so with the hours are, are pretty wild and I didn't really know how it would sort of work. And not all of those female directors that I saw working had children. Actually, I think it was, I think Gail was the main person who had a child. Which is pretty wild if you think about that too. <laughs> that was pr- uh, pretty crazy, and you know. And then I worked in the industry for quite a long time before I I even had a kid, and um, we did not have an easy road to have a kid. And I have a whole wild motherhood slash filmmaking story where everything coincided with working in film. Like I I remember doing like an IVF cycle, and I remember like doing like my needles in a porta toilet, uh, the fancy the fancy film porta toilets on Front Street. And whenever I drive by there, walking by there, I'm like, oh, remember that crazy time when I had to like take my needle at five o'clock? Like there's a wild road, but I, I don't know. I managed to make it all work. I did. And I think it really can be. And I think I tell a lot of uh, women who are starting to have kids or ask me questions about it is it can be exactly what you make it, right? Like your norm is your normal. Like if you want a normal life, if you want to be I don't know, our old, I guess, ideal of what normal was, then maybe it's not the industry for you, but it's exactly what you make it. And, you know, we definitely have more off time than a nine to five job. So there's definite benefits there. Um, and your children only know what they know, right? Yeah. I think
0: it's like totally possible, but it's, it, it can be hard. And your son is nine now. So does he understand what you do? Is he like your biggest fan of all your work? <laughs> yes, he is actually. So <laughs> You know, I directed on Children's Room and everything and Run the Burbs this last
1: year. And with this pandemic, we would just go for rides, could drive around. And like him seeing the billboards and the streetcars, so exciting. He's like, my mom directs on that. And yeah, no, he's definitely like my biggest fan. But you know, his first film set, he was eight weeks old. And he, when I brought him his first film set to visit. And you know, he kind of grew up on the Orphan Black set. He would come all the time and visit. And Tatiana was so lovely. And you know, she would like hang out with them and... When I was directing, he would come and he calls actions sometimes. and I think it's important for them to A, see what you do, and also, like, I've explained to him that I love this, and this makes me really happy, and me being really happy makes me a good mom, makes me a good person, and this is important to me, just like how you like to, I don't know, play video games. It makes you happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can, like, relate it, but, you know, it's I think it's really, uh, it's important, and, you know, he sees it, and he supports it, and... That's not to say that there's not hard times sometimes, sure. But like greater picture is, you know, we, we can do any, you can do
0: anything you want, right? You can, you yeah. truly can. Do you think he's going to go into the industry?
1: Uh, Yeah, if he could, for sure. He would want to be a comedian right now. Like he's going to comedy <laughs> camp for March break. He works on his routine all the time. He's like breaking down <laughs> jokes. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. I, oh either that gosh. or a
1: rock star, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs>
0: He's going to be a superstar. I could just tell. Uh, I have to ask you about, you know, the one moment that in, in your career so far that you are the most proud of.
1: I'm going to say, I don't think that big moment has happened yet, Mm -hmm. but I think like the, the biggest moment was that like I transitioned from a supervisor into a director and I'm very proud of who I am as a director. I feel like it, like it's happening. It's, you know, I feel like that's my biggest accomplishment because it feels, it feels good. It definitely feels good. and feels, uh, you know, I remember when I retired my stopwatch, it was very nerve wracking to walk away from like the safety <laughs> net. Right. And for a long time, I still sort of had it. And I'm like, batteries are there, you know, but, <laughs> like, you know, I feel like, you know, this is a nice, uh, great long road uh, to creating good stories and
0: working with incredible actors. And yeah, I feel like it's happening. So then what's your next goal? What's What are you working towards right now?
1: My next goal is to be a producer director on a TV series for sure. To be there right from the very beginning uh, is a definite goal of mine. I'm developing something right now and possibly optioning uh, a book, which would be really exciting for a project. But I feel like that's like the next steps for me right now is a producer director role on a show.
0: That's definitely, there's something a little bit magical about being part of a project from its inception. It's, its birth because mm-hmm. watching that that's magic you know that's yeah. the magic of the industry <laughs> for sure it is it's, you know what? it's kind of like putting it all together you know as a guest director you come on a show sometimes
1: and you're like why was that decision yeah. we're like really this is the but this set doesn't work you can't really shoot that well on this show like you know what i mean there's like little things that i don't know you just want to be there from the very beginning
0: 100 <laughs> percent. i always think about that on tv shows to be honest like how you have a director just come in because director has to come I mean you know better than me with with vision and with an ability to you know put all the pieces together and work with the actors and the fact that you just fly in and um you know have to make you know things happen must be challenging it is and you know the term is like literally you just fly in you just start prep you don't know any of the people
1: right or something you know it's eventually at the point you know a lot of people but you know imagine you're on the show. don't know anybody you're learning all their personalities as quickly as you can and the politics of everything while injecting all of your ideas at the right time in the right way right to figure out where they all sort of like fit in and then then you're thrown on the floor and then you're then you're directing on the floor so with a crew who all knows each other with a show sometimes that has its own way of working already has its own style but you know you are there to elevate the material and work with the actors and So aside from that crew and everything, then you have a whole set of actors who know each other. Sometimes they have their things, depending on where the season is, where you're directing, where your block is on the season. Sometimes actors are tired or frustrated, or maybe things aren't the smoothest, or some actors are accelerating and some actors are not as quickly. And so you need to come in very, and, and to sort of see where you can inject yourself into that. And it's pretty intense. It can definitely be pretty intense because all at the same time, no matter what's happening in your stomach, you are like, Oh my gosh, like this is wildly crazy. You're there as like, you know, the cheerleader and creating a great work environment and coming in like super cheery and like, okay, let's get this done. And connecting with everybody. It can be very like emotionally exhausting. Like there are times where you're just like emotionally super tired, but it's completely worth it to see the end product. you know And you know when you get the emails from the producers saying like, oh this actor was so great in this scene or you know their performances in your episode were like some of the best we've seen this season and like those sort of things like that's really amazing or, or you know when when the DP like when, when you're able to like amortize your schedule a bit better and like you know push the envelope with your shots and, and, and have a bit more time for some things, your DP is really happy because they don't feel like they're always getting the shaft on the timelines and You know, like there's, it's a lot, there's a lot to do in a very short period of time, but I feel like I completely excel in the chaos.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before I let you go, I have to ask you if you can recommend a piece of Canadian content that you are watching right now or that you love.
1: Yes. I just finished watching, I think it's called Last One Laughing. So it's on Amazon. And it's the group of like uh, Canadian comedians who are all in the room together. I highly recommend it. I laughed so hard. And I think the concept <laughs> of the show was really interesting. And I just want more episodes. Like, I wanna see who like, if they do another version of it, like who those next comedians are in the room. But but to watch the last two comedians duke it out was, it's like, it's comedy gold. It was so
0: fun. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this was such a great episode. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Melanie Orr as much as I did. Please let us know, give us a rating, leave us a review. And if you have any ideas of who we should have next on the podcast, please send us a DM at Canadian Made Podcast. And a super special shout out to Melanie Orr's son, Ellington, who is somewhat of a podcast connoisseur, and I hope that he approved of this episode.